Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do you ever picture Jesus as a teenage boy? The Bible doesn't give us many images of Jesus, as many stories of Jesus as a child, but the one it does give us of him as an adolescent boy, uh, we find him getting into a little bit of mischief. It tells us the story of Jesus and his parents. They had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and then they're leaving, and all of a sudden his parents, after several days, I don't know why it took several days, but after several days they begin to look for Jesus and they can't find him. So being anxious and afraid, they start looking and asking family members, have you seen Jesus? And they couldn't find him. So they rush back to Jerusalem and they they find Jesus in the temple asking questions to the teacher and they rebuke Jesus like any good parent would do. And they say, why have you done this thing to us? And Jesus answers them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? The moral of the story I always took away as a child is it's okay to run away from home as long as you go to church. But since the Bible doesn't give us much about the adolescence or the childhood of Jesus, we have to think about what would Jesus have been like as an ordinary child? Like if Jesus were a 21st century teenager, would Jesus have used a cell phone? And if Jesus would have used a cell phone, would he have been on Facebook? Would he have been on Twitter? Would he have been on Instagram? Would would Jesus participate in the ALS Ice Bucket bucket Challenge? Would Jesus post throwback Thursday photos to that moment when his parents finally found him in Jerusalem? Or would he post as his status on Facebook, like for a to be honest? This was a uh, little fad that went around not too long ago on Facebook, which was an interesting phenomenon. Uh, To be honest was if you post that on your status and someone likes it, you would give them an honest evaluation of themselves. Well, this tended to go one of two directions. Either it was exceedingly shallow, like, you're such a nice person, or it went the other way and was extremely cruel and mean. And it went one of two ways. But what was interesting about this social phenomenon on, on Facebook was the idea that we crave to know what people think about us. We like to know how we stack up in other people's eyes. We want their evaluation of us. But we're also deeply conflicted about judging and deeply conflicted about what others think about us. Think back to when I was a youth intern in Michigan the summer after my freshman year, and I was in a little Bible study with a couple of teenagers. And at this point, we were going around just talking about some of our favorite Bible verses. Some of the usual suspects were there, John 3.16, Philippians 4.13. But the one that really stuck out to me was a young man who was sitting over here. He, he looked at me and he said, Matthew 7.1, do not judge, which is just the first part of that verse. But he ended it there, do not judge. So I was intrigued and I asked him, why is that your favorite? He said, because I don't like people in my business. They should worry about their own stuff and not judge me for mine. I think his answer was very real, and it came from, he got really emotional when he, when he said it. And I think it speaks to something that's deep inside of us. Although we crave to know what other people think about us, if it's critical of anything about us, we don't want them to say it. We want them to keep it to themselves. Judge is a word that sounds so negative. It reeks of arrogance and condemnation, and we don't want anything to do with that kind of label. But are we as Christians to judge? 
Are we ever in a position to make judgments of one another? And I think Jesus would answer with a resounding yes, but maybe not in the way that you would think. In Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, says this, And he came down with them and stood on a level place. And with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all the Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Just prior to these verses, Jesus had spent all night up on a mountain in prayer. And when he had come down, the result of that prayer was that Jesus called 12 people to himself to be his apostles, to be the people of God that would continue and be the foundation for his church. And over the next three years, Jesus would personally and deeply invest in this group of people throughout the course of his ministry. And the idea that this group of people is going to be my witness to the world. But was their lifestyle just supposed to be about going out about business as usual, or were they actually supposed to live a certain way? Was there a different life that Jesus was calling them to? So in the immediately verses that follow in verse 20, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Plain, which is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. And I think sometimes we view this section of Scripture as this is just a sample of Jesus' teaching. This is just representative of the things Jesus would say. But I think because it's so close to him calling this group of 12, that it speaks specifically to a way of life that he's calling them to. These are my people. And this is how they were supposed to live. And so this sermon seems to function not as some random teaching, but some sort of guide. And in this sermon, one of the things that Jesus said is, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. But the question has to be asked, does Jesus want us to suspend all judgments? And I ask because just a few verses later, after saying, do not judge, he says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a briar. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So are Christians supposed to judge? And who are we supposed to judge? Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Recently, I was driving home from work, and I passed, or was at a stoplight, and I saw someone on the side of the road, something many of us encounter every day. And this man was holding a sign, and it said, Jobless Father, anything helps, God bless. Whenever I come into these situations, I'm always a little torn about what to do. Because I look at this man and I say, dude, get a job. Or I say, I don't think I want to be enabling some habit that's probably destroying you or your family's life. I'm also torn because when I look in my wallet, it's usually pretty empty because I never carry cash. In this increasingly more and more cashless society, I wonder how these men and women survive because nowadays we just pay for things with our smartphone. I'm always torn about what to do. And I'm always asking myself this question, is this guy really homeless or 
jobless. And I begin to observe that person. On this particular occasion, I looked at this man, and we were in the middle of this polar vortex thing, which I found kind of funny, and he was wearing three coats. And he looked pretty clean. He looked like he'd probably showered that morning. And I asked myself, does this guy really need help? I looked at him, and he seemed pretty physically capable of getting some kind of job somewhere. I always measure these people up. And I always ask myself, is this person deserving of the charity in which I can give? Or do I even have money myself to give to this person? You see, we live in a world where we judge everything. We measure everything. Everything gets measured up. For instance, recently I was in Honduras with a group of men here, and we would be building uh, a house, and we'd be working away, and occasionally the Hondurians who were kind of overseeing our work and really actually doing the work would whip out this tape measure, which was usually about half the distance it needed to be, and they would whip it out and they would start measuring things, and they'd realize that they hadn't controlled this crazy horde of Americans, and we built the wall crooked, or we added one too many blocks, or Adam Baker got a little excited with the mortar and slapped too much on there. And every time they would notice this, they would just shake their heads and come up with this little smirk on their face and just say, it's okay. We'll fix it in the next layer. But my quirky mind was always wondering, how do you know that measuring tape is right? I mean, think about it. We have all these different devices we use to measure. We have measuring tapes, rulers, GPSs, levels, measuring cups, scales, and so on and so forth. But how do we know that these instruments and tools we are using are correct? I mean, how do we know that when it says an inch, that means it's actually an inch? And how do we know what an inch is? I mean... Who decided that? Who decided what an inch was? Or who decided how big a cup was? What if the reason that the walls were crooked or my cookies never seemed to turn out right is because the measuring device that I use is wrong? And I had no way of knowing See, we live in a world where we judge constantly and we have to ask ourselves, does Jesus call us to judge? I think as Frank has said, the answer is resoundingly yes. But he says you have to change your measuring device. The problem is our measuring device for how we interact in the world is always ourselves. As we go about our daily lives, we're always comparing ourselves to those around us. We look at the car over here and say, that's nicer than my car, but I got a nicer car than that car. Or, I'm pretty sure I got more money than them. I got a bigger house than they do. I don't have that big of a house, so I'm I'm living good. I'm, I'm sacrificing. Or we look at people and we go, well, that person's beautiful, and that man is handsome. And even though many of these factors are influenced by the socioeconomic world we live in and the culture around us, Ultimately, all of these come down to our own preconceived notions and preconceived ideas of what 
beautiful or handsome, rich or poor, good or bad are. And the problem is, that's all based on ourselves. You see, Jesus calls us to judge, but He calls us to use a different standard. Western culture has mastered the art of the standard of using ourselves. In this postmodern world, we judge everything according to ourselves. We say things like, hey, you do what's right for you, and I'll do what's right for me. Or my personal favorite, hey, Jesus said, don't judge. So don't judge me. The thing is that Jesus didn't tell us not to judge. Rather, what he's doing in Luke 6 and what he challenges us to do is to redefine the measuring device we use to judge the world that we live in. He's challenging us to position ourselves to first examine our own selves. Second, examine and judge the body that we worship and work together in. And then we can go out into the world and judge it. Give. And it will be given to you a good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use will be measured unto you. So Christians are called to make judgments. <coughs> but the standard of our discernment, the standard of the discernment that we make is grounded in and according to the grace of God. Just prior to this section on making judgment, Jesus addresses loving one's enemies. That tough section of Scripture which we like to discuss and quote, but is exceedingly difficult to actually live out. And at the end of that, Jesus says, Be merciful, even as your Father in heaven is merciful. See, the standard of our love, the standard of our grace, the standard of our mercy is not ourselves, but it is God and God alone. And thankfully, we serve a God who is not a miser. He's not a cheapskate when it comes to giving out grace. Thankfully, we serve a God who is not trying to give out the bare minimum, but a God who gives abundantly. A God who, when he has a full measuring cup, doesn't just stop there, but he actually pushes it down. He makes sure there's no spare room, and then he pours another heaping helping upon the top. God has a great measure, and he's called us to use that one, not ours. So Jesus is concerned with how we judge and the tool that we use, but he's also concerned about the proper method that we go about judging. And so he tells them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his master. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. I don't know if you've ever thought about Jesus telling jokes, but this is pretty close to one. He says, did you hear the one about the blind man leading another blind man? It didn't end well. They both fell in the pit. What Jesus is saying here is that the purpose of this succession of short parables is not that we aren't making judgments, but that the first principle of judging is that we discern ourselves. We look inside first. Jesus wants us to judge and discern one another, 
but he wants us to do it with clear vision. He wants us to have our spiritual eyes checked so that when we look at one another, we don't knock each other unconscious with the logs that are hanging out of our eyes. We put the standard, the measuring stick to ourselves before we apply it to one another. The second point that Jesus says is we discern the fruit of the people of God. Jesus says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. The figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from briars. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. See, at the beginning of this sermon, Jesus had chosen these 12 disciples, these 12 apostles that he was going to invest in and send out into the world. And he instructs them on how to live in this world. And here at the end of the sermon, he says, people will recognize you by the fruit that you produce. So if the world can recognize the fruit that we are producing, the church can recognize the the fruit that we're producing. And if it's evil, we're supposed to correct that. Because if we don't, it hurts our witness to the world. Now, this isn't an invitation to get all up in each other's business. What Jesus is saying here is this is a call to discern what type of life the church is living and every member that makes up that body. And the one thing we must remember is what standard are we using? Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Once we redefine our measuring standard, there is a process that Jesus calls us to. First, we must examine ourselves. Second, we must examine the body. And third, once we have done those things, then we can go forth into the world and judge it. So I want to leave you with one idea for each of those three examples of what Jesus calls us to do. A great practice to begin to use to judging yourself is something that Chris has taught us all and has brought up often, and it's called the examine. Chris gives the history of this practice and outlines in a bit more detail than I will what, he's, what it means in his book, 10-Minute Transformation. And I encourage you to pick up a copy of that and read it and participate in the 10-Minute Transformation groups because truly you will become more connected with God and then learn to examine yourself first. This practice of examine has four parts to it. The first part is to recognize. See, often we go about our daily lives and we forget. We forget that God is in us, that God is around us. We forget to acknowledge His presence. So the first part of this practice that we do at the end of the day is to recognize God's presence. And we do that by taking a deep breath. And by praying or looking into the Scriptures or meditating on God's Word, we recognize the presence of God in our own lives. Once we've recognized the presence of God in our own lives, then we must request the help of God to examine our day. You see, we can't see what we're doing right in this world unless we ask for God's guidance and we desperately need the power and the discernment of the Holy Spirit to see the things that we are doing good and the things that we are doing bad in this world. So requesting is simply a time where we ask God to use His Spirit to guide us 
to help us to examine our day and see the things that we did good, see the things that we did bad, see how we loved, see how we didn't love, see how we were the hands and feet of Jesus, and see how we weren't. So after we've requested, then we go about the process of reviewing. Now this practice of the examine is best done at the end of your day. But if you're like me, I'm a morning person, so you can also do it bright and early when you get up. That's when I can best think. After 9 o'clock at night, I'm worthless. We take time after we've recognized the presence of God and we've requested His help and His guidance to review the day from beginning to end and to review the events that are going on in that day. So we do that, we ask questions. Did I love this person like Jesus? Did I notice that my wife wasn't doing very well? Did I see that person on the side of the road? Could I have been the hands and feet of Jesus to him? Was my coworker mad? How could I have been more like Jesus to him? We examine the different moments of time during our day, and we ask God to help us see what we did good, what we did bad, and how we can do better. And finally, once we've received or recognized and requested and reviewed, we resolve. This is the time where we look at those things and we ask the questions and acknowledge the things that God has pointed out to us. We resolve to do something different or to continue doing what we've been doing better. We take time to make a game plan and we resolve how we're going to go about our day tomorrow and next week and next month and do things better. After we've taken time to recognize, to request, to review, and to resolve, now we can remove the giant log from our own eye and begin to examine the specks in each other's lives. I think one of the best ways that we can go about doing this as a body is through a mentor-mentoree relationship. Frank and I are very blessed every week to meet with Chris, Eric, and Alan Black and be mentored by them. They're going to take this sermon and rip it to pieces. And it's going to be fun, sort of. But they're going to help us to grow and to become better prepared to be ministers. And they go throughout our lives and they help us to see the things that we can't see. So you see, the, the benefit of having a mentor is that they're able to look at the big picture. They're able to step out of ourselves and to see what we're doing well, what we need improvement on, and help us make a game plan to do that. Another way that we can go about judging one another in the body and we're moving the spec is through small groups. Whether it's men's groups, women's groups, purity groups, prayer groups, or reach groups. These are the times where we get intimately involved in one another's lives. We pick one another up. We support each other. We confess to one another. We correct one another. We encourage and we love and we come together as the body of Christ and we sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. You see, once we've taken the log out of our own eye and removed the specks from those amongst our body, then we can go about as Jesus calls us to, judging the world. When I was a kid, there were these bracelets that became kind of the fad, and I'm pretty sure somebody in here is probably wearing one. And they say, W, W, 
J-D. See, when we're going about measuring the world, the standard that we need to use is Jesus, and so we should be asking ourselves this question. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus interact with each person that we come in contact in a daily situation? How would Jesus love the person on the side of the road holding the sign? How would Jesus take care of the cashier who's having a bad day? How would Jesus interact with the coworker that I don't get along with or the roommate that drives me crazy or my wife who just seems to always be mad at me today? How would Jesus, what would Jesus do? After we've taken the time to examine ourselves, We've entered into small groups and mentoring relationships, and we've gone out into the world, we can judge. Jesus calls us to judge as Christians. However, His teachings first challenge us to change the standard in our lives from ourselves to Him. The problem is the measuring cup we use. The solution is Jesus' measuring cup in the world. Once we do what He calls us to, once we examine ourselves and we judge the fruit of the body, we can interact with this world and bear proper witness as the hands and feet of Jesus to all that we encounter. This world desperately needs Christians who judge the world properly, not by examining our own selves and saying, do what's right for you, but by examining through the eyes and hands and feet of Jesus our Savior. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, and shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Holy.